I'm thankful we all get to be together this morning. Seeing how God has been working, <clears throat> remembering also what Christ did for us. <clears throat> now let's open Bibles and see more of what he has in mind for us. <clears throat> the world is full of voices. Some voices are helpful. Some voices are wonderful. Others are there to lead astray and destroy. Some are ignorant that they are proclaiming what leads to destruction and death. But it's still the case. Some people want to stir up arguments that really are pointless. Arguments over words that actually are more than pointless. They lead believers astray. There are silly myths going around. Maybe like believing rocks can make your life better and take our evil or bad things away. Some even pursue what's demonic. There are believers who've been imprisoned for their faith. There are people, there are some who claim to be Christian who work to convince people of things that are not true. People who are leading believers away from the truth. Overall, it does not sound like a good place to live. And I don't think it was. Though I could be speaking of now, I was trying to speak of the world as it was 2,000 years ago. When the letter of 1 Timothy and also 2 Timothy was written. So there's stuff to learn from them. In a world of so many voices and plenty that will pull us astray, right here and now, how do we stay with what's right? How can we persevere in the midst of false teaching and also help our kids whom we love and those others whom we love do the very same? That's what we're talking about this morning, holding fast to the truth and growing in God. So if you would, join me in 1 Timothy 4. That's on page 992 in the Bibles in the row in front of you. So, and we'll be there and also in 2 Timothy 2 this morning. Allie read a verse from 2 Timothy 2 earlier, and we're going to be talking about that. We are still in the same series that Pastor Josh has been leading us through. He asked if I could preach this week, and I am quite glad to be able to. We're not... Right next to where we were last week, we're skipping, but we're in the same area. This is what he had in mind based on celebrating Awana today. So, this morning we're going to consider our relationships with God and with others, but before we get there, I'd like to read from a couple passages. 1 Timothy 4, starting in verse 11. Command and teach these things. Let no one despise you for your youth, but set the believers an example in speech, in conduct, in love, in faith, in purity. Until I come, devote yourself to the public reading of Scripture, to exhortation, to teaching. Do not neglect the gift you have, which was given you by prophecy when the council of elders laid their hands on you. Practice these things, immerse yourself in them, so that all may see your progress." Keep a close watch on yourself and on the teaching. Persist in this, for by so doing, you will save both yourself and your hearers. Let's look at these verses, and, and then we'll move into 2 Timothy. <clears throat> so command and teach these things. Well, which things? Uh, things that came right before, but maybe also things that come after. It's a little ambiguous, and I, I don't know that that's unintentional. 
for us to understand that command and teach these things, the things that you know are good and right and true. The verses before speak of the danger of sin and wrong practice that can pull people away from the truth. We've got that around us. Verse 12 here says, don't let others look down on him because of his youthfulness, right? Okay, so this is a command. If you think about it, somebody commands you to not let other people do something. <clears throat> that seems a little strange, which... And the wording of it all in Greek doesn't translate super well in English, which is why it says, uh, let no one despise you for your youth. The, the let there just seems to be how we translate commands like this. How could it be commanded? Well, part of it is there's a contrast here. And living in such a way would work against being looked down upon or despised. So Timothy is young. That much we know right here. The book itself doesn't really tell us how old he is. They're reasonable guesses, but maybe that's part of the point for all of this. This was written to one person, but it's been read by millions. And that was, that was what God knew. So, does age matter when you're acting like Jesus? A contrast to being looked down upon, he should be an example for believers in speech, in conduct, in love, in faith, in purity. If somebody's an example, it's harder to look down on them for your, their youth. <clears throat> Alexander the Great died at age 32, but you've heard of him, even though he lived well over 2,000 years ago. He was not, look, we can look down on him for some reasons perhaps, but as a conqueror and leader, we don't look down on this guy who conquered most of the world before he was my age. A better example, Jesus was in his 30s when his ministry ended on earth. We don't look down on Jesus because he was young. Perhaps that's a little different, but it's still there. Now, all that said, Timothy was probably somewhere in his 30s, maybe around my age. And regardless of our age, whether you're 7 years old, 17 years old, regardless of your age, 77 years old, it's right for us to live in a way that's godly and a godly example to those around us. Can I look at my 5-year-old and see a godly example sometimes that I need to reflect Sometimes. Should it be more me reflecting for him to see more often? Yes, it should. But can I? Any age. Living a way that's a godly example to those around us. In verse 13, Timothy is given a task to work on until Paul comes. Give attention to the public reading of Scripture. Especially important when not everybody had a Bible at home. Right? <clears throat> But it also shows where our priorities are. The public reading of Scripture, this is the one thing that we have that is wholly good. Amen. This is directly from God to us. Where are our priorities? That's quite a bit of what we're talking about. So, exhortation and teaching, it's not just reading it, but it's studying it. And it's sharing that with others. Exhortation, encouraging towards something different. God's word isn't merely there for us to know more, 
but for our lives to be changed. And as we think about Awana and FOTU, the goal is not to know more. Knowing more can lead to a changed life, and that is much more the goal. Right now, uh, I'm leading a class on how to study the Bible for yourself. Life change is what we talk about, and I'm sure we're going to have it again. It's going well, and this is something that we need to understand some more about. It's knowing how to look at God's Word and understand what He has in mind for us. Teaching is a big deal. If there's any doubt about Timothy's age, experience, or even his boldness, a strong commitment to following what God is what he needs to do. However young he may be, if he is pursuing God wholeheartedly, fully committed, devoted, that's an example. And this also shows us that the ministry isn't about any one given person, it's about God. The person and who they are and how they are matters the most as they're seeking and pursuing God. Verse 14, do not neglect the gift you have. This is a warning. Don't neglect the spiritual gift within you. Again, reminding Timothy that it isn't about him, it's about God. And what God has given him is for the blessing and benefit of others. The gift that was bestowed on you by prophecy when the elders laid their hands on you. Uh, this sounds like a time when Timothy was ordained for and commissioned for gospel ministry. Paul believes it. He's the one writing this letter. He's an apostle of God. The elders of the church believe it, the leaders who are right there. And the Holy Spirit is confirmation. The prophecy that is mentioned here, the prophecy that accompanied his ordination clearly shows that God was involved. Because where else does prophecy come from? So Paul's reminding Timothy, I'm an apostle. I, I, I believe this. The elders believe this. And God. You can't have a greater confirmation than that. And Timothy is to cultivate this gift. A unique gift compared to regular spiritual gifts, perhaps. But I see that we can learn from this in what God has given to us, we should also cultivate. It's spring. There's an apple tree over there. The trees, the flowers, the grass is, is growing and blooming out. <clears throat> so we're thinking about the plants that have been cared well for compared to those which have been neglected. When I was in third and fourth grade, my family lived in the country in Maryland. Uh, we lived on a few acres, and nearby was an old apple orchard. And one of my birthdays in September, I asked if we could go pick apples in this orchard. My mom made arrangements and we went. But this wasn't a commercial picking orchard. This was one that nobody cared about anymore. The trees hadn't been pruned in some time. The weeds were all around. Uh, no one had sprayed for bugs. Just imagine all this. There were apples, but they weren't amazing apples. As I recall, they were small, sometimes a little misshapen, and although it was a fun experience for sure, those apples were nothing like the apples that I had that came from some of your orchards or trees that you tended very well last year. We had bushels of extra around here last year. 
from those of you who tended to your trees, who cultivated them well. What gifts God has given any of us for ministry, we need to be tending, cultivating, working to increase and not neglecting. Not allowing them to go unused and growing, but misshapen. And if you don't know how God has gifted you for ministry, try something out. With Awana, we had how many volunteers? Over 20? Almost 30 volunteers. They had all sorts of different gifts. They served in a variety of ways, games, administration, loving on kids, teaching, leading, all kinds of things. Awana and FOTU are just two ways to use and cultivate gifts, both for the teens and adults and for those who are volunteering and the kids. And the kids are discovering about who God is. And with that, also more of who he has created them to be. Verse 15, it says, practice these things. Immerse yourself in them. Be wholly devoted to them. Be diligent. From Jesus, uh, John chapter 15, I'm reminded of abide in the vine. If any of us is going to bear fruit, we can't be rogue branches not connected to the root. All right. Here's the test of if everybody's with me. Let's see if I can get it right. If you're going to bear fruit, you've got to be connected to the root. Uh, sorry. I, um, okay. You want me to say it again? Well, good. You can watch the video. All right. So, verse 16. No, not verse 16. Um, connected to the root. Why do this? So that, it says in verse 15, that all may see your progress, progress in the faith, right? That it would be evident to all, and to clarify, this, this is not about showing off for other people. It isn't about the other people at all. Timothy is an example and one believer noticeably growing is a blessing to those around. And perhaps a motivation as well, right? Now verse 16. More direction. Practice. No, no. Keep a close watch on yourself and on the teaching. Close attention to himself and his teaching. Again, our own relationship with God is super important. And how we approach God's word and how we share it with others is as well. And you may not have the opportunity to be on this stage or, or leading one of the different small groups or groups of Awana kids or leading at FOTU, but we all have an opportunity to influence those around us. So persevere in these things to save both himself and those who hear him. And it's not that we have to work and continue to be good to hold on to our salvation. Absolutely not. Jesus took care of every part of that when he died for us. His death was not a down payment so that we finished off by being fairly good. Absolutely not. More, more the idea of being saved perhaps from false teachers and false doctrines and also enjoying the salvation that 
he has, enjoying that even more. As we grow in the faith, we realize continually more how amazing the gospel is, the amazing grace that God has given to us through Christ. Think about all this. Here's a quote from Warren Wearsby, a pastor, a professor, and prolific writer. He said, The building up of the saved and the winning of the lost are the purposes for our ministry to the glory of God. But God must work in us before he can effectively work through us. Philippians 2, 12, and 13. As good ministers, we preach the word. As godly ministers, we practice the word. As growing ministers, we progress in the word. And ministers can and perhaps should in the right ways be every believer. We minister to other people, right? We are all called to be committed servants of the king, even if he hasn't called all of us into full-time vocational ministry. Good and godly and growing ministers. Everyone who has influence is a leader. My oldest son is a leader of my other three. My daughter is the third of four. She is a leader of the youngest one, even if he's a month old and really doesn't know anything yet. She is and will be and will continue to be. Through this passage, we've talked about our relationship with God. Now we're going to move to 2 Timothy and think through the relationship with others, followed by some practical challenges for daily life. You flip one page, and you're there. I'm going to read verses 14, 15, and 16, bottom right of that page, if you're using the church Bibles. 2 Timothy 2, 14. Remind them of these things. And charge them before God not to quarrel about words, which does no good, but only ruins the hearers. Do your best to present yourself to God as one approved, a worker who has no need to be ashamed, rightly handling the word of truth. That's the one verse. But avoid irreverent babble, for it will lead people into more and more ungodliness. We're going to stop there. Directions to to tell others not to quarrel. Another translation is wrangle. Not to wrangle or quarrel about words. It, It doesn't just not do good. It ruins the hearers. It's more about the person speaking in those situations than the truth. And whatever this was that they were talking about, it wasn't focused on the aims of Christianity. In verse 15, we see... Perhaps a contrast here. Rather than getting into worthless and harmful arguments, be diligent to present yourselves approved to God. As a workman, uh, that's a really hard and committed worker. We can gather that from the context you can read above as well. Someone who doesn't need to be ashamed. Someone who accurately handles the word of truth. Uh, Another translation says rightly dividing it all means cutting straight. That can be applied to many tasks. Plowing a straight furrow in a field. Cutting a straight board. Sewing a straight seam. Those things need to be straight. They need to not be twisted. 
Farmers, an unstraight row of corn. Builders, a twisted board when you're building something. Sowers, a crooked seam. In terms of the Bible, don't twist its words. Not physically, but still. Don't twist its words. We wouldn't do that physically to a Bible. Why would we do it to its words? Stick to the plain meaning of Scripture. Don't try to make the Bible say what we want it to say. Don't twist the words. And I know we agree on that. It's part of why we're here this morning. We want God's words as God's words, not our personal preferences entering in. And though that's our desire, we still must be diligent to truly take God's words for what they say. Uh, there's a reason the key verse of, this is the key verse of Awana. And because God's word is taken very seriously by this organization, it shouldn't surprise us that God has allowed this ministry to be going strong since 1950. We're just one of the 70,000 churches around the world, one of well, uh, a few dozen kids. It reaches 5 million kids each week, 3 million in Africa alone. It was founded in Chicago and is now in over 133 different countries. This is an organization that is diligent to hold fast to God's word. And I think that's a big part of why it's part of our church. In verse 16, whatever leads to ungodliness and to the ruin of the hearers. Hmm. The false teachers are arguing about words and are coming up with totally wrong ideas, as we see in uh, a few verses down in the passage, that the resurrection has already taken place. In verse 18 and then 19, Paul's helping Timothy be able to tell others is when the resurrection comes, you'll know it. God won't miss you. Now, I realize that isn't much of an issue in our society that, I, that I'm familiar with, at least right now. But there are plenty of other issues of Scripture being twisted by those who claim to be Christian. I don't know their hearts. I don't know if they believe in Christ as their Savior or not. And following Paul's example of calling a few out. He specifically talked about, I believe it was, ah, verse 17. Their talk will spread like gangrene. Among them are Hymenaeus and Philetus, who have swerved from the truth. Saying the resurrection has already happened. Swerved from the truth. They got their names in the Bible as people not to be alike or be around. I know of a book specifically that when I read it, read it, it sounded pretty good. If not for my seminary degree and lots of time in scripture through my life and the Holy Spirit working in me, it might be pretty persuading. But the arguments presented in the book, it's called God and the Great Christian, are actually pretty weak arguments. It sounds good, but it is not. It subtly twists scripture. And it's twisting God's word to fit with personal desires. Another example is a guy who lived in the 1800s named Joseph Smith. He was a man who really liked women too much. And one thing he included when he created Mormonism back in the 1800s was that men should have several wives. 
A third. Today, we also have some preachers with huge followings, tens of thousands, who say that if you're really following God and have faith, God will give you all kinds of wealth here on earth. That's twisting scripture also. They use scriptures to say what they want them to say. And it's usually for the preacher's great personal gain and the ruin of the hearers. So to the main point, how do you stay with the truth in the midst of a world that wants to pull us astray? We hold fast to the truth and grow in God. That's why we have Awana. That's why Ali, as the leader of Awana for the last few years, has had such an emphasis on parents living their faith out with their kids. Today we're recognized and celebrating our, our Awana program and our, our youth group, FOTU. We want to be about discovering more of who God is through the Bible. For Awana in particular, there's lots about memorizing scripture. It's easier for young brains to do that. Part of how God created them, more flexible, more able, typically. The truth of God can be remembered from when they're little for the rest of their lives. There's some verses that I memorized when I was going through Awana that I still have, and they're quick to come to mind. That's just part of it. It's not memorizing for memorizing's sake. As I said before, it's changed lives. For foe two, it's building on that knowledge and expanding into deeper Christian relationships. As middle school and high school, the relationship shifts in the family a little bit. As the need for non-family relationships naturally increases as people get older and are preparing to leave home, we want to foster that well, continually direct people back to God's word and with his people. Adults, are you holding fast to the truth and absolutely committed to God and his word? Do your kids know it? We become like our parents. Not entirely, but a lot of things that our parents do, we do, whether we want to or not. Where are you committed? This is for everybody. Are you committed to reading God's word, talking with him all the time, sharing about what he has done in your life recently, praying as a family, reading God's word together? There are a lot of different things. Um, where are you committed? Are, are you committed to sports? If so, is it because of the sport? This is for parents and families as well as anybody else. Uh, is it because of the sport or, or maybe because of the people that you can connect with and be a light to? If you're committed to the sport, are you committed to God even more and first? I, I was a youth pastor for eight years. Sports, band, dance, theater, and even church can consume families. If anything but Christ is consuming in your life, You'll submit to the words of the world and to people, and you won't submit to the word of God. And we all need this reminder and this check. We may think about those three examples that I mentioned before that those don't impact us. 
personally. Those don't change us. We recognize that word is twisted, but if we don't continue in God's word, we won't recognize the counterfeit as well. We'll be more accepting of what's being twisted. If you and your family are not part of a one or a foe two, maybe ask yourself, why? There may be a great reason. And, or maybe not. But even more importantly, what are you doing at home? Uh, Awana is an hour and a half, 45 minutes on Sunday. Uh, 168 hours in a week. There are a lot more hours at home than at Awana. We realize that. I may have been a youth pastor, and because of that, I've long known that parents are huge influencers. So parents, if you want your kids to have the best life they can have, you need to pursue God like nothing else. He needs to be the most important thing in your life. And this is not just parents with little kids. This is all parents, but especially those with little kids. Most important thing in your life, not your kids, not your spouse, not your dog, your job, your church, or your hobby. None of these can be the most important thing in your life. I'm more and more convinced lately that salvation for our country doesn't reside in anything other than Christ. Things may be going downhill. There are plenty of false teachers twisting God's word, but that won't truly change until people believe in Jesus as their own personal savior. To have a real relationship with God and then abide in the vine. To follow Christ each day, loving him, listening to him, being willing to change when we're convicted, when we're confronted by the truth. If all of us in this room would first trust Christ as Savior, which I believe is most of us already, for sure, then we believers would do just what Timothy is directed to do here. I think we've got a, a short list here. Verse 12 of 1 Timothy, be a godly Christian example. Publicly read and preach scripture. Don't neglect your God-given gift. Be immersed in the things of God which brings growth and an example. Commit in your relationship with God for your benefit and with others. Don't quarrel about words. It's useless and harmful. Diligently work as approved, unashamed, and accurately handling God's word. Straight and true. Avoid worldly chatter. It leads to ungodliness. Parents, let's be examples to our kids. Kids, let's be examples to our parents. Grandparents, friends, aunts, uncles, cousins, everybody else. Let's be examples to the believers whom God has placed around us. I'd like to spend two more minutes thinking through what that actually can look like this week. Being in God's word, reading it, listening to it, talking to God, building your relationship with him. Join in with other believers. That's part of our summer together idea. Okay, these are three things that I have heard all my life being in church. But building relationships really is pretty straightforward. If you're building a relationship, strengthening your relationship with God is like relationship with anybody. You take time. If you want to get to know somebody better, 
You spend time with them. What else can we do? Ask a coworker or neighbor what they think about church. Don't be afraid of your faith. Don't be ashamed of the gospel, which may be exactly what we're doing when we hesitate to talk about Jesus. I was struck by this a year or two ago. Kids, Awana kids, Romans 1.16. You all remember that one? Ali mentioned it before. The gospel is the power of God to salvation for everyone who believes. If you're concerned about our country going downhill and making your life harder, share the gospel. Not having as much money, which is part of the thought that we've got in our country of it going downhill, is nothing compared to going to hell. And that is what happens to our neighbors, our friends, and our family who die and don't believe in Jesus. It's eternal separation from God. And I know, I absolutely know, it's not always easy, and we can't force people to believe as much as we desire to do that. And I know some of you are amazingly committed believers, and you dearly, those you dearly love refuse to believe in Jesus. They refuse to accept the truth. They continue in their destructive ways. God knows. He loves them, and perhaps one day they will be part of his family. But know, too, that everybody around you is somebody's brother or father or daughter. What light might you share that would go into the heart of someone whose grandma has been praying for them for 20 years? Maybe you're the person who gets to share that she's been praying for. So let's be wholly devoted to God. We've looked at a few verses, truths that were written almost 2,000 years ago regarding life at that time, but life isn't so different now. We've looked at relationship with God, how pursuing him is so important. Looked at relationship with others and how we really want to remain committed to rightly handling God's word, not twisting it or accepting those who twist it for their own purposes. Persevering as diligent students of God's word. Commit to your faith. Don't get distracted or derailed by the things of this world, even in terms of wanting to fight against them. Our focus has to continue to be on God. And if our kids can work on that every week, memorizing lots of verses, if they can work on that relationship each week, let's all take up such a commitment. And let's pray now. Thank you, Father, that you love us so very much, that you sent Christ for us, and our lives are changed because of that. And Lord, you have so much still more for us. Thank you for these words for Timothy that you provided so that we may also be blessed by them. Lord, we want to handle your truth rightly. Lord, we want to be committed. Please guide us in that. Keep us. Keep us close with you every day and still more and more. May we cultivate what you've given. May we live with you and love you well. Thank you for this time that we've had together. In Jesus' name, amen.